0: Okay, welcome to the Environmental Justice Report, Progressive News Network combined show. My name Janine Moloff, and I am the producer and host. Today, we're going to focus more on the environmental end. Uh, if you saw the advert, and it's kind of hard to see because for whatever reason, Facebook has put me way down in the algorithm. Go figure. Anyway, the headline says, Judge Drops Criminal Charges in Flint Water Case. And Solar Town survives Ian, Hurricane Ian. So the advert basically states right here, you know, a judge dropped a criminal case against seven former officials, including the former governor, Rick Snyder, in the Flint water crisis. Now the excuse involves a legal technicality which further demonstrates, in my opinion, the ethical bankruptcy of our legal system. And we're going to get into that actually. Um, Instead of instructing the prosecutor to fix the error in the prosecution's case, Judge Elizabeth Kelly essentially dropped the case. Now, at the risk of using the word case constantly, anyway, the case for systemic corruption must be discussed and corrupt judges must be replaced. And I'm not saying Judge Kelly's corrupt necessarily. I'm saying that there's something really odd, either massive incompetence on the part of the prosecutor as well as the judge, or corruption. I don't know which. Next, in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, there was a small Florida town located just 12 miles northeast of Fort Myers. That, and this particular place is called Babcock Ranch. Now, it is an upper income community. I'll grant you that. But it not only sustained minimal, practically no damage, but it never lost power. How did this happen? You know, Fort Myers was devastated, it was destroyed. Well, that's because Babcock Ranch Ranch is 100% solar powered. Notice you did not see anything about this in the mainstream corporate news. Furthermore, building codes at Babcock Ranch, this little community, required all structures to be designed with what they call, quote, a low wind profile, end quote. This miracle of sustainable development was, again, not covered by the mainstream corporate news, which is, in my opinion, too busy greenwashing fossil fuel. This column was written, um, the uh, the column about Babcock Ranch. I saw this column on Common Dreams, but it was written by noted progressive journalist Tom Hartman, and it ran in Common Dreams. We're going to be discussing this piece as is clear that the subject of truly green Sustainable development, which saved lives, has been blacklisted by corporate talking heads. So that's our thing today. And we're going to go first to Flint. Now, as you know, the Flint case occurred when Republicans in charge, uh, including the ex-governor, Rick Snyder, decided to change uh, water systems to Flint uh, because they wanted to save a few pennies. Okay. Okay and that resulted in the residents of Flint getting unsafe drinking water that contained all sorts of toxic chemicals, chemicals, including massive amounts of lead. And we know that lead is not only a toxin, but in children, it causes permanent brain damage. Now, this doesn't escape anybody who's an honest bone in their body, Anybody's noticed that Flint is also a majority black. So this is truly a case in environmental racism. And I actually don't understand why the, why the DA didn't push for that as well. I, I truly do not. And we won't get into all that today. We're just going to get into part of it. Um, so let's go to the first one. So this was – oops, wrong one here. Go back here. Oh, no, my bad. Give me a minute. I thought I had everything here, and it turns out I didn't. Okay. So this was an article in Common Dreams. Okay. Um, Sorry. I need new glasses. So give me a second there. Michigan, the headline is Absolutely Shameful. Michigan Judge Drops. Oh, God, I can't type today. Dropped Flint water crisis um, charges against seven officials. Okay? And it was written, um, it was published October 5th, just this past week, and it was written by uh, Jake Johnson for Common Dreams. The headline is just that quote absolutely shameful michigan judge drops flint water crisis charges against seven officials there's a quote here from a journalist quote this means there are currently no criminal charges over eight years later end quote lamented one journalist let's have think in for a minute no criminal charges in over eight years even though this community's water was switched by politicians and they were allowed to drink totally unsafe water that costs lives. Why aren't these politicians responsible, especially ex-governor Rick Snyder, why aren't they in a jail cell right now? I'd like to know. So let's get into this article by Jake Johnson. So this Michigan judge uh, just Tuesday, so that would have been, let's see now, I've got a calendar here. Yeah, just the 4th, the day before Jake Johnson wrote this piece. Uh, this Michigan judge dropped felony criminal charges against seven former officials. I'm reading straight from the article right now. Quote, a Michigan judge on Tuesday dropped felony criminal charges against seven former officials in connection to the 2014 Flint water crisis that poisoned thousands of people and killed dozens, okay? And the killed dozens, that is as documented by pbs.org on their Frontline program. And that article, and that is titled, that's from September 10th, 2019, for Frontline PBS, it says, the headline is, we found dozens of uncounted deaths during the Flint water crisis. Here's how. And that was... Written by Sarah Childress with reporting from Taylor Rubel, Jacob Kara and Abby Ellis. And we'll get back to that in a minute. So wonder why did this Michigan judge drop these felony charges? This community has been devastated. You know, notice the differential treatment as well. My heart goes out to the people in Florida. Their their homes are destroyed. But everybody's worried about Fort Myers where there's a lot of white folk. But the people in Flint, where the majority population is black, don't seem to get the same amount of concern. That's just my opinion. Anyway, so who is the judge that did this? Genesee County Circuit Judge Elizabeth Kelly. Um, And apparently her decision came from a Michigan Supreme Court ruling just this past June. And that ruling said that, quote, state prosecutors' use of a one-man grand jury to issue issue indictments was legally improper, throwing into doubt efforts to hold ex-officials accountable for a water disaster that has had lasting impacts on Flint residents, end quote. Um, And here's a quote from Judge Kelly, quote, Because the one-person grand jury does not have the power to issue indictments, the indictments issued in the felony Flint water cases were void ab initio. Therefore, anything arising out of the invalid indictments is irreconcilable. irreconcilably tainted from inception, end quote. Okay, my question is this. Why didn't that judge, besides throwing it out, why didn't that judge instruct the prosecutor to go back to the drawing board and do it correctly? I'm not a lawyer, but it's a legitimate question. And then my second question is, why didn't the DA, who's an alleged progressive, Why didn't she do it correctly in the first place? You know, either she was rushing, the prosecutor that is, or did she want to throw the case, or is she incompetent? Which is it? This has been eight years, okay, eight years. And the officials who had charges dropped this past Tuesday were were former Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director Nick Lyon, and former Michigan Department of Health and Human Services medical executive Eden Wells. Both of these two people face nine counts of involuntary manslaughter. Now, who is the Michigan Attorney General that screwed up? Her name's Dana Nessel, and she's a Democrat. Um, she is accused of, according to this, botching efforts to punish officials responsible for the mass lead poisoning and Legionnaires' epidemic in. Flint, okay, I'm reading again from Jake Johnson's article, quote, Charlie LeDuff, a columnist for the Detroit News, explained last month that, quote, instead of holding preliminary examinations, Nestle's office used a one-man grand jury to charge former Governor Rick Snyder with willful neglect, a misdemeanor, as well as recharging several others with a new round of indictments of manslaughter and misconduct, Uh, end quote. And again, Charlie LeDuff goes on to say, quote, Nestle's team argues that while the Supreme Court ruled a one-man grand jury may not issue indictments, his findings can still be used to seek a warrant. Despite assurances from Nestle's office claiming things are moving forward, people in the legal world know time is running out, evidence has grown cold and memories have grown dark, the statute of limitations is creeping up. Depending on the person and the charges, so it's worth saying again, it's doubtful anyone goes to prison end quote. I would really want to know I, I would like to see Dana Nessel's um, office investigated. I, I can't believe that she made such a obvious mistake. okay According to this, she should have held preliminary examinations. Instead, she just went straight ahead. And those that accused Dana Nestle of botching it, including uh, there's an article here from The Guardian out of England. Okay? And this was written by Jordan Sheridan and Charlie Leduff, Okay, Leduff again. Um, and this article is eight months old. It says revealed the Flint water poisoning charges that never came to light I'm just reading from the article right now quote the former criminal prosecution team investigating the flint water crisis was building a racketeering case against state officials and the team was dismantled wow this is something new okay this article in The Guardian goes on to say, quote, a team of prosecutors and investigators leading the investigation into the Flint water crisis from 2016 through 2018 were assembling a racketeering case against the architects of a bond deal that residents and experts say sparked the health disaster. Sources familiar with the criminal investigation have told The Guardian. Okay. And I'm just reading straight from this Guardian article, Um, quote, the case which would have come under the RICO, racketeer influence and corrupt organization laws, often used to charge organized crime groups, was widespread and set to implicate additional state officials who played a role in the poisoning of Flint, according to these sources. The article goes on to say, quote, um, excuse me, but when the team was suddenly broken up, and the investigation restarted with a new set of investigators, the RICO case never materialized. So LaDuff goes on to say, what happened? Critics point to the Mich- Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. I'm just reading straight from The Guardian. Quote, running to replace the term-limited Republican Attorney General Bill Schutte in 2018, Nessel, a Democrat, criticized the Flint criminal investigation under Schutte as politically charged show trials and campaign on revamping the investigation. Shortly after Nessa won the Attorney General race office, uh, the Attorney General race and took office, her administration fired the top prosecutors and investigators working on the Shite Large investigation and restarted the prosecution with a new team. Why did she do that? I mean, if you don't like Republicans, you don't like Republicans, but if they did the groundwork, why would you throw it out? unless, you know, somebody got to you. All right, so it goes on to say again, reading straight from the article. Quote, at that point, the prosecution team assembled by Shute had been working for nearly three years and filed criminal charges against 15 Michigan State and Flint City officials, including four officials charged with financial fraud that prosecutors said triggered the water crisis. End quote. Quote, but when Nessel relaunched the investigation, her office dropped charges against top state and city officials, citing flaws in the Shite era investigation. In 2021, Nessel's office recharged several of those defendants with a new round of indictments that included involuntary manslaughter, misconduct in office, obstruction of justice, extortion and perjury, but gone, but gone were the financial fraud charges. That is very, end quote, that's very damning right there. Notice, we're getting more information out of this article which ran in The Guardian. Again, written by Jordan Cheriton and Charlie LaBeouf. And this was um, published in The Guardian on January 17, 2022, right after the new year. That is very damning. That, uh, excuse me, I lost my place. Uh, here we are. Um, very damning that the financial fraud charges were gone. I will say it again. I've said it before and I will say it again. Corporate Democrats in a lot of ways are every bit as corrupt as Republicans. There must, in those financial fraud charges, if those charges had gone forward, there would have been more discovery. More discovery would have possibly traced it back to source, namely What big entity, you know, bribed their way in? Seriously. This is an instance where, um, you know, Dana Nessel, she's a Democrat, and she's one of those, I don't know much about her politics, except that when it comes to socially um, political issues, she tries to portray herself as progressive. You know, she's out as a... uh, a gay woman, she has a wife, fine, no problem with that. Um, but I'm tired of whether it's Democrats or Republicans, these people that say they are fiscally conservative but socially liberal. That's nonsense. Fiscal issues are social issues, period. If you don't have the money to buy basics in life, you have a serious problem. And so I have to wonder, I don't believe that Dana Nessel is incompetent. You know, her office definitely needs to be investigated. Um, Apparently, there's a quote here in the Guardian, same Guardian article, from uh, the chairman of the Flint City Council, someone named Eric Mays. And Eric Mays said the following quote, Nessel let it go. I'm sorry, Nessel let it go. Was it a lack of political will was it a lack of political or legal will? I cannot say, but it bothers me to this day her team hasn't addressed it end quote now back in January when this article from The Guardian was published, they did attempt um, excuse me the Guardian these writers attempted to reach Nestle's spokesperson for comment, and the spokesperson did respond to the to these two writers from The Guardian. And the spokesperson for Nestle's office said the following, quote, the prosecution team reviewed all the evidence and pursued all viable charges, end quote. That's a big nothing burger. I mean, me, got to take a little drink here. Mm. Uh, uh, again, no further explanation. Um, now, The article here, LaDuff and Sheridan point out the fact that when Nessel was, quote, an attorney general hopeful, um, she was criticizing the Flint investigation and her criticisms did worry local activists. Uh, There's a quote here, um, well, not a quote, actually. It says here, quote, days before the 2018 general election, Melissa Mays, a Flint water activist and the lead plaintiff, In a major civil lawsuit against former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, among others, reached out to Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic candidate then running for governor. In an email obtained by The Guardian, Mays expressed concern over growing speculation that Nestle planned to overhaul the Flint investigation. Now, Melissa Mays, you could say, has a a special interest in this case, and I don't blame her. She's a mother of three children and her children were made sick by drinking uh, the contaminated water that Flint residents were forced to drink, and she became ill as, as well. Um, and Miss Mays was worried that if Dana Nessel was hired, I mean was was elected, that she would fire someone named Todd Flood, and Todd Flood is the special prosecutor that was appointed by um, DA. Shetty, and as, as documented by the DetroitNews.com, um, it was Mr. Flood who brought financial fraud charges uh, against two emergency managers. Here, I'm going to read this straight from the quote. It was Flood, who Todd Flood the special prosecutor who brought financial fraud charges against the two emergency managers appointed by Snyder to run Flint in place of its elected mayor and city council, Darnell Early and Gerald Ambrose, as well as two Flint city officials. And this, this is as documented by the New York times in 2016. Now there's really two crimes here. It's more than just this. You have to remember These special managers were brought in by Rick Snyder under a law that was pushed through the Michigan State Legislature that allowed the legislature to literally toss the results of local elections and put in effective managers. And it wasn't just, you know, if these had been, this happened to cities that are predominantly poor and communities of color. That was the main issue right there. Now I can understand if you had city officials, for instance, that um, committed fraud, then of course you might want to set them aside and investigate. But this particular law allows them to set aside everything, even if there's no, no evidence of fraud. It's way overkill. Basically, this goes back to the fact that the Michigan legislature passed a law that said, if you're in a community that's majority black or brown and lower income, guess what? We don't have to honor the results of your local elections. If we don't like who you elect for mayor or city council or school board, we can just toss it and put in people that we want. They literally nullified the right of local people to have a democracy, to have democratically elected officials. Now, this is the story behind the story that really wasn't covered. I've talked about it before. Because something similar happened here in St. Louis, but it was with the school board, where the state of Missouri told the St. Louis City School Board, because they didn't make enough points on the test, they replaced the elected school board with an appointed one and tossed the results of the election, which they had no right to do. But these laws came into play, and by golly, guess who's behind a lot of those laws that set aside democratic rule. Especially setting aside democratic rule for low-income people in communities of color. Take one wild guess. ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, among some others. State Policy Network, which is funded by the DeVos family. We can go on and on. And you're going to find out more about it because I'm actually working on a book that's going to demystify all of this. So Dana Nessel came in as a Democrat. She fired. Um, they were worried that she, you know, she, and she did fire Todd flood, the special prosecutor who brought financial fraud charges. Um, but let's go back to this. Cause I, I digressed a little bit, so I apologize. So, uh, basically, uh, Melissa Mays, her three kids and her were all harmed by drinking this contaminated water. She was also lead plaintiff in the civil lawsuit against uh, former Mission Governor Rick Snyder, as well as others. She reached out to Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic candidate then running for governor, and she expressed her concern, especially that if Dana Nessel were elected to the Attorney General's office that she would um, fire Todd Flood, who was a special prosecutor appointed by uh, then Attorney General Shetty. I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not. And it was Todd Flood that brought these financial fraud charges against two emergency managers, okay, appointed by Snyder. So what what did Gretchen Whitmer write back? Whitmer wrote back, quote, While Shetty is an opportunist, he is also a skilled politician who, has sick, begun something that the people of Flint can appreciate some value in, um, end quote. Whitmer then offered Mays her assurances, quote, I see it, I see it though, and we'll talk to Nestle, end quote. According to Guardian, we don't know if now Governor Whitmer ever spoke to Dana Nestle about this particular situation. Um, and as of January of 22, um, Governor Whitmer had not responded to the Guardian's request for comment before this particular article was published. Then, after Dana Nessel was elected attorney general, um, she had one of her staffers named Fadwa Hamoud, who was appointed by Nessel. Um, Fadwa Hamoud was appointed by Dana Nessel to be the state solicitor general. And Fadma Hamoud fired Flood. And then those financial fraud charges just went bye-bye. So this goes deeper. And now that I've looked at this Guardian article, does it look like Dana Nessel has been, um, I don't want to say ethically compromised. Does it look like she's been, legally compromised that she somehow violated her oath of office? Yes, it does. Very much so. Uh, So, this basically, when the financial fraud charges disappeared, this is really significant because it affects the bond deal. And the bond deal was what allowed the city of Flint to switch its water supply. And that bond deal had been investigated by the Shetty team. See, what happened, according to The Guardian, you have to go back in all this. You know, if you just read part of the story, you only get part of it. And and that's the thing. The statute of limitations is creeping up. Very convenient for Dana Nessel and whoever's funding her. In 2014, um, the city of Flint had to borrow almost $100 million in order to join this proposed Karagdandi Water Authority. We'll call it KWA. And this was going to be a new regional system that the city of Flint would join uh, allegedly as both a customer and part owner. But the city of Flint was broke at the time, and they had gone way beyond their borrowing limit. So then there was a state-issued environmental order, and that let the city get around the debt limit and access some $85 million in funding, and that is as documented by Michigan.gov. And that money was earmarked, quote, for an environmental calamity, end quote. Um, so let me read this straight from the piece, because I want to make sure I get it straight. Quote, um, quote, a state-issued environmental order allowed the city to get around its debt limit and access $85 million in funding. Money earmarked for, quote, an environmental calamity, end quote. In this case, the cleanup of a local lime sludge pit. But the prosecution under Shetty alleged the money supplied by this order for the cleanup was redirected for other purposes, instead allowing Flint to issue tens of millions of dollars in bonds to join the KWA. So that this, end quote, so this allegedly fraudulent environmental order mandated that Flint also had to use the Flint River as its water source while the KWA pipeline was being built. Uh, because there had to be a lot of upgrades and so on. Um, And the problem with the Flint River is, besides the fact that the upgrades were needed, there had not been any proper corrosion control chemicals in the Flint River water. And that those corrosion chemicals were coming from the old auto factories. And this resulted, quote, in lead leaching off Flint's older pipes and poisoning residents drinking water, end quote. So this fraud issue is a big deal, okay, and um, let me go back, it, it's, it's complicated, okay. Um, so there were tens of millions of dollars in upgrades that had to happen for the city water plant so that the plant could safely treat Flint River water. Um, but the updates were not completed, nowhere near it. And the city switched to it anyway in April 14. And then they, again, to reiterate, a quote, a failure to add proper corrosion control chemicals into the Flint River water supply resulted in lead, lead. Leaching off Flint's older pipes and poisoning residents' drinking water, end quote. Even the FBI got into this. Um, There was a state government committee in 2018, and the former director of the FBI's office in Detroit, a man named Andy Arena, was quoted saying, quote, we believe there was significant financial fraud that drove this, end quote. Now, Mr. Arena, or the FBI, was the chief Flintwater investigator under the Shuddy investigation. But he was fired after Nestle took office as well. And after Mr. Arena, again, FBI, was um, former director of the FBI, that is, in Detroit, after he was fired... Mr. Arena revealed, quote, that his team was within six months of filing significant financial charges, which he described as dropping a heavy rock, and that is as documented by DetroitNews.com. Okay? My, the timing of this looks very convenient for Dana Nessel, whatever big money's funding her. So, uh... This article goes on to say, "quote sources source and I hate I'm just reading from this, but it's complex." quote Sources familiar with the Flint criminal investigation told the Guardian that those impending indictments were to to be filed as RICO charges. In modern history, RICO charges have been most commonly, but not always, used against members of the mafia and organized crime syndicates. End quote. And then there were further documents, according to this article, that were obtained by the Guardian that actually. Additionally, confirmed Todd Flood's investigation, where he was looking into bribery and racketeering, which is which are two big components of RICO car- cases. Um, it says here, quote, in one petition to subpoena an outside contractor who worked as a KWA project manager, obtained by the Guardian, prosecutors said they had, quote, reasonable cause to believe that corrupt transactions involving certain contractors the Genesee County Drain Commission's Commissioner's Office, other entities and persons of interest, end quote, had happened, had occurred. And the header of the petition did specify that prosecutors were investigating bribery, racketeering, and false pretenses. So, at this point, given Dana Nessel's um, behavior, there's only a few choices you have. You either have to wonder whether or not she's just that incompetent, and I don't believe that for a minute, or she's corrupt, in which case, who bribed her and how much and with what. Okay. Um, and again, they were six months away from this, but the racketeering investigation went bye-bye because Dana Nessel made sure of it. Mrs. Mays, the woman with three children who were hurt, Went on to say, quote, my position is that flood was heading in the direct, right direction. I followed the proceedings on the fraudulent bond sale. I know there were RICO charges in the works, end quote. So you got to wonder about this. Okay. There were also multiple sources that knew about the investigation that also noted that if the financial fraud or rico charges had actually been allowed to be filed the state of michigan quote might have faced hundreds of millions in liability over the kwa bond deal since the attorney general's office under shitty ultimately signed off on the allegedly fraudulent administrative order that greenlit flint to borrow tens of millions to join the kwa uh, they made the point here the order was actually signed by an assistant attorney general in Shuddy's office again, is documented by um, freep.com. Okay. So, uh, let's see now. Shitty, there's, a quote, there's a quote from Shuddy in a statement in 2016, quote, all too prevalent in the Flint water investigation with priority on balance sheets and finances rather than the health and safety of the citizens of Flint, end quote. You know, again, this all got triggered because these emergency managers were allowed to unseat elected officials so even without these rico charges those laws that allow a state to throw out the results of local elections just because a community is poor those laws should be challenged they're actually more dangerous Okay. Uh, so, after the story in January of 22 was published, there was a spokesperson for the current criminal investigation, and they told the Guardian, "quote, and the current team would be under Dana Nessel, quote When our team assumed responsibility over the Flint water prosecutions, we pursued all viable charges based on the, an exhaustive review." of the entire body of evidence, including the evidence that had not been obtained by the shitty administration. Uh, uh, The spokesperson continued to say that the evidence reviewed led to the indictments of nine individuals. Uh, And they went on to say, the spokesperson said, quote, let me be clear, there was no charge that was not evaluated. There was no lead that was not pursued, end quote. But notice, financial fraud was dropped because it would have cost the state of Michigan a lot of money okay now solicitor Hamoud who again was appointed by Dana Nessel um, issued a response after this story in January of this year was published and Hamoud denied that RICO charges were impending at the time that Dana Nessel took office "Quote: they were not end quote okay I don't know if I believe that I don't believe it actually so there's more to it than that. You know, there's an old saying, follow the money. Take a little drink here. And there's money, big money involved. There were three, quote, financial firms that underwrote this KWA bond deal. And these particular financial firms, those as banks, according to this article could have faced similar financial penalties because they didn't do their due diligence okay, to make sure that the upgrades to Flint's water plan were completed and, and things of that nature and make sure Flint could afford it, all that good stuff. So there's due diligence that banks and financial firms are supposed to do to make sure that the deal is um, proper, legitimate, and that the um, expenditures are actually needed. And if those... Excuse me. If the Rico case had been pursued, these three financial firms, as they're called in The Guardian, would have faced um not only financial penalties, possibly criminal penalties as well. So one financial firm has not been named, but two were. Guess who they were? JP Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo. Okay? Hey? It should also be noted, according to this article, that in 2020, the banks were, those banks were sued, according to CNN.com, and they were sued um, on behalf of 2,600 Flint children, quote, for their conscience-shocking behavior, end quote, in financing the deal that led to, quote, dire health consequences to the children of Flint. The Guardian also said that, quote, J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo declined to comment. So, Nestle looks compromised. I'm just going to say it. Okay. Um, there is, why did Nestle drop financial fraud charges um, that had already been filed? Okay. Why did her prosecution team do that? Um there's a quote here from Peter Hammer, who is a Wayne, a Wayne State law professor. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Allergies. Okay. So there's a quote here from Peter Hammer, who is a Wayne State law professor. And Professor Hammer, an extensive civil rights report on the Flint water crisis, and that's as documented by Michigan, www.michigan.gov. And the um, name of the report is the Flint Water Crisis, comma, KWA, and Strategic Structural Racism. Okay. The truth hurts, right? Okay, So, here's what Professor Hammer had to say, quote, I never understood why the Attorney General disrupted the initial investigation drop the initial charges, or set a different direction in her new charges that chart a course away from the issues of financing the KWA pipeline, end quote. Uh, Professor Hammer goes on to say, quote, her decisions mean that some of the most important questions relating to the crisis, the political and economic forces driving the KWA pipeline are not being addressed. This adds a new tragedy for the people of Flint, who deserve to know the root causes of their suffering and to hold any financial wrongdoing accountable, end quote. So, the Flint water crisis, we're in year eight. Dana Nestle and Gretchen Whitmer are running for re-election right now. Okay? At this point, not all the city's lead surface lines have been replaced, and so people are still being damaged Pete residents are complaining of the following rashes hair loss and other ailments again uh last line of this article quote the flint criminal investigation under nestle did not respond to the guardian's request for comment before publication and this was published back in january of 22 the two writers of this piece jordan Cheriton. Is an investigative reporter and the CEO of Status Quo News, and Status Quo News is, according to this quote, an independent news outlet that covers political corrupt pro- political corruption, protest movements, working class exploitation, and overlooked communities. End quote. The other co-writer of this piece is Charlie LeDuff. He is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter based in Michigan. If doesn't make Dana Nessel, the Attorney General of Michigan, looked corrupt. I don't know what will. Okay? So that's what we're talking about here. And now back here in, you know, back in June, the Michigan court tosses the charges, you know, and why did that judge do that? Okay, well, that's because the prosecutor screwed up on purpose. That's my opinion. Uh, According to Reuters, quote, prosecutors decided to employ a rarely used method of obtaining the indictments, presenting evidence in secret before Genesee County Circuit Judge David Newblatt in what is known as a, quote, one-man grand jury, end quote. It goes on to say, according to Reuters, quote, but the state Supreme Court said on Tuesday that while a judge serving in that role can subpoena witnesses and issue arrest warrants, the judge cannot issue indictments, end quote. Uh, It goes on to say a spokesperson for the – Office of Attorney General Dana Nessel said prosecutors are reviewing the opinion. Okay. Now, that was back in June. Uh, the AP also reports on it. The charges against ex-governor, you know, Rick Snyder and the others were dropped. And this was from the Michigan Supreme Court. They threw out the charges. Um, and according to... Um, Let's see. The Supreme Court said, quote, that state laws, quote, authorize a judge to investigate subpoena witnesses and issue house arrest warrants. Um, the Supreme Court also said, and this was a court, this was in an opinion issued by Chief Justice Bridget McCormick, quote, but they do not authorize the judge to issue indictments. And it was a six zero opinion. Uh, judge McCormick also called it a star chamber comeback quote, a pejorative reference to an oppressive, closed-door style of justice in England in the 17th century. Okay. Um, so, you know, once again, if it looks like, um, excuse me, if it looks like the Attorney General, Dana Nessel, to use a a, um, a colloquial term, if it looks like Dana Nestle threw the case, well, probably because she did. That's what it looks like. That's worse than a rookie mistake. You know, you don't want a star chamber. All Dana Nestle had to do was complete the work that had begun by her Republican predecessor and just follow it through, but that would have involved... Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, and this third group that was unnamed. Okay. Just something really bad here. Okay. So we're going to go back now. All right. So let's go to that law. I remember when this first passed. I think it was called the independent um what uh, manager law, something like that. Give me a second here. No, I can't find it right now. okay, anyway, let me try this law that allows um state legislature to assign independent managers. Okay? All right. So this really ties into something called the independent state legislature theory, which is actually going to be heard by the Supreme Court very soon in a case called Moore v. Harper. Um, this goes beyond regulating elections. The emer- it's emergency manager law. That's what it was called. Okay, give me a second here. Yeah. Emergency manager law in Michigan. Okay, um, This is punishing low-income communities for being low-income. It's saying that if you're poor, you don't have a right to have your elections respected or the results of it, rather. Um, the right re- required characteristics of an emergency manager. Um, so basically this was a financial emergency manager law. Okay. And it traces back to the eighties actually. Um, and there's several public acts and, and I think at this point, we're going to do a separate show on that. All right. I think it it deserves it deserves some uh, some special attention. Like I said, um, you know, more affluent communities don't see a danger in it. Well, there is a danger if a state governor or a state legislature can supplant, in other words, can toss the results of your local election out the window because they just don't happen to agree with it. And maybe for no other reason that you're low income, you're basically saying that there is a de facto um, poll tax to even be allowed to have the results of your elections respected. And the emergency manager law, that does trace back to the state policy network and other groups like that. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking about this again. Um, Just as I was doing this story, I realized we need to do an entire show on that okay so that's what's happening in michigan and like i said dana nestle knows that the statute of limitations is 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 approaching quickly and that was the whole thing they just want to make sure that these big banks don't have to pay for their crimes that's what it looks like okay all righty let's look at our next thing here Today's going to be a kind of a, uh, uh, the show today's going to be a little short. Okay. So let's go to what happened in Florida. Okay. And this was, um, this was an article written by Tom Hartman, who I adore. Okay. It ran in common dreams. Now as we know, Hurricane Ian just destroyed Fort Fort Myers, okay, it's gone. And other parts of Florida as well. And these thousand-year storms are happening like every other year. You can't say that uh, global climate devastation doesn't happen, okay. And I'm just surprised that this piece didn't get more traction. Uh, Maybe I'm not surprised. I mean, maybe that was the plan. But Tom Hartman, who, you know, does wonderful research, he published this in Common Dreams October 4th. This is past Tuesday. And I remember opening up Common Dreams because I love the publication and seeing this piece, and I'm like, what the? So here it is. The headline is, How This Solar Town survived hurricane Ian shows the promise of a green energy future and the subtitle here at the Babcock ranch community near Fort Myers shows building a resilient and low carbon America will save both money and lives we need to start now okay so they're still finding hundreds of dead bodies in Lee County in Florida okay there is a um, tweet here from Daniel Yulfelder at DW Yulfelder Law, it says hundreds of dead bodies found in Lee County, Florida. DeSantis stands by decision to wait until day before landfall to order evacuations in Lee County. Um, and everybody was paying attention to whether or not DeSantis used this uh, as a photo op, um, you know, to people picking over the devastation, which is an important story. But it doesn't offer potential solutions. And they buried this other story. And that is that this little development, 12 miles northeast of Fort Myers, 12 miles, that's all it is, not only got through the hurricane fine, they never lost power. No down power lines, nobody died, nobody hurt, nothing. How did that happen? And it was still in Lee County. Well, it's known as the Babcock Ranch Community. Now, it's a small town. Part of it's in Lee County, okay? Um, When they first started designing Babcock Ranch, as they call it, uh, it was designed to be, quote, Florida's first 100% solar-powered community with over 700,000 panels providing more than enough electricity for all 2,000 homes, end quote. Now, this was erected in 2015, okay? Okay. Okay, so um and this is also an area that votes red. Okay, the people in this community, a lot of them are Republicans. They're not tree huggers. All right? They didn't they didn't build this all electric, all solar energy community to save the world. They did it to hold on to power and to save their homes. Okay? Uh, and Tom Hartman explained that right now solar and wind, quote, are now the cheapest ways to produce energy in the United States, end quote. So what Babcock Ranch did besides making the community 100% solar powered, they also designed the homes with what they call low wind profile. And that meant that the houses were set um, some distance above the streets and that the streets themselves were uh, designed to flood and run off, leaving the homes high and dry. So in other words, they were going to make sure that the streets, that the water drained down, okay? Which is what they used to do, they don't anymore. Then power and internet lines were buried and they used native plants as landscaping and that was to also help catch and slow runoff to minimize flood damage. And that's why Babcock Ranch Homes came through. It's an upscale community. The homes cost in the half million, a million dollar and up range. Um, and part of this because these homes sit on big lots. So you're not going to see a lot of like tall two and three story buildings. Okay. That's part of the low wind profile. Um, okay. So this is really what happened. And I'm looking down at this article here. Um, let me see now. Sorry about this here. So then they get into some other stuff here. Um, Babcock Ranch, you know, they thought about the weather itself. You know, and I would love to see people, you know, be able to get their homes back. But I think at this point, since the taxpayers paying for a lot of this, the people there need to be told, if you're going to rebuild, you need to rebuild in a way that has a chance of surviving. And some of these areas you can't rebuild in. All right. There's no point if it's going to be destroyed a year or two later. Okay. Um, so let's see now. So Tom Hartman goes on also to talk about more innovative economic models in other countries that would help push solar energy. Now, I'm going to note that um, this past winter, I had to put a new furnace in my home. My, my furnace bit the dust in December when we were having a cold stamp. I had one room that I could close off and keep reasonably warm. And I would have loved to have put in a solar, um, a solar system, but it was double the cost. I just couldn't swing it. But anyway, um, excuse me, Tom Hartman uh, was invited to join uh, German members of par- – ger- okay, Tom Hartman received an invitation to join this German member of parliament, somebody named Hermann Scheer, and they gave presentations at a conference in Spain. That was in September of 2009. And then a dec- almost a decade earlier, Scheer, again, this member – of the German parliament had also created what he called his 100,000 rooftops program. Um, And the original idea, you know, in the 1990s, Germany was facing a big energy crisis and people were freaking out about the fact that Germany had so many nuclear plants, they wanted them shut down and that's understandable. So, Scheer flew um, back to Frankfurt, in 86 on his birthday and it was a gray, rainy day and in downtown Frankfurt and he walked to his hotel and he was shocked to see um, the city completely empty of pedestrians and practically no cars and at the hotel the clerk was frantic um, and this was apparent 86 because apparently Chernobyl melted down two weeks ago so people were really you know terrified well you know understandable So Germans wanted to get rid of their nuclear power. And they didn't want to go back to coal or oil. This was in the 90s. That's the reason they went to nuclear in the first place. So banks would loan people money to put rooftop solar in their house. um, And what happened was the defaults were backstopped by the government. So it was no risk to the banks, in other words. Um, And then the power utilities would buy extra power from those homes using what they call feed-in tariff. And that, and so the tariffs were set. So, I'll give you an example: if your monthly payments on your loan for your rooftop solar were 100 bucks, the local utility would be paying you or reducing your electric bill by that same 100 bucks. And that was called the feed-in tariff. And the tariff payments would last until the loan was paid off. And then you have your solar system, which um, supposedly lasts for decades for free. Okay. Oh. So Scheer got this feed-in tariffs passed in 99, and that was part of the 100,000 Rooftops Program, and that was followed by what they called the German Renewable Energy Act of 2000. It wasn't implemented as easily, but, you know, he was working towards it. Um, Other countries copied parts of the program, um, but there were some of Germany's for-profit and their regional utilities that We're determined to sabotage it, and that's as documented by, uh, let's see now, energytransition.org. So, you know, here's the thing. A lot of people think solar energy is great if you live in an area like Florida where there's lots of sunshine, but if you don't, you're not going to be able to have enough energy, but that's not really true. Um, According to this, solar works even better than in Germany, Uh, In the USA, Uh, Germany is the cloudiest country in Europe, and it's at the same latitude as Calgary. That's according to technologyreview.com. And the science proving that solar can work better in the U.S. is solid, and that's according to sciencedirect.com. So here we have this perfect example of a community, Babcock Ranch. Twelve miles northeast from Fort Myers, Hurricane Ian came and went. Fort Myers was destroyed, and Babcock Ranch was unscathed, and they never lost power. And why? Because they had solar energy. And have you seen this article anywhere else? You won't, because there is this, this blackout of news that, yes, solar can work. it can work quite well all right and so now we have this situation where they're you know the not only the fossil fuel company but fossil fuel itself but also utility companies are determined to squeak out every every penny they can out of us um you know here in st louis the winters can be pretty brutal and every year you know you'll see these commercials about how there's this charity that, you know, through the electric company and the gas company that helps people pay their utility bills so it's not shut off. But every year you see um, a lot of low-income and elderly people on fixed incomes that have their heat shut off and they die in the cold. This is what the two-party corporate system leaves us, okay? This story that Tom Hartman did should have been all over the news and it wasn't. Not at all. So that's why I wanted to talk about that. Um, you know, put bluntly, let's be honest about this country. The only real right you have in the United States is to work yourself to death. That's it. We have no other rights. Oh, we're allowed limited free speech. I mean, we can run our mouths long well, as we don't irritate anybody too badly, but that's it. Now, I had an idea and I did place calls to Senator Bernie Sanders' office and a few others. Um, you know, historically, and we've talked about it on EJR before, the fossil fuel industry still receives massive taxpayer subsidies every goddamn year. And they've been receiving those taxpayer subsidies since the early 1900s. Now, in the beginning, when the tech was new, maybe that's understandable. but That's no longer the case. My suggestion, and again, this would take real progressives, is to um, rescind every penny of those taxpayer subsidies to every form of fossil fuel, as well as the nuclear industry, and then issue a tax free voucher to every household that makes say under both singles and marrieds that makes say under a hundred grand a year, and the voucher is only to be used for a truly sustainable h v a c system in other words, heating and cooling either solar wind whatever and no, you don't have to pay on your income tax, nothing. I mean, there's something very wrong when the fossil fuel industry gets my taxpayer subsidy. And here, like, I work part-time as a virtual tutor to supplement my income. And I just got a big tax bill. There's something very wrong with that just to keep myself afloat. All right. And the fact is, both Democrats... Corporate Democrats, it is, and Republicans are equally culpable. Yes, the Republicans are worse. Make no mistake about it. But to say the Republicans are worse is basically like comparing serial abusers, okay? While the corporate Democrats um, are abusers, they may not abuse us as violently as the Republicans, but we're being abused nonetheless. There is zero accountability, zero transparency, and this crap's got to stop, put bluntly. It just has to. So that's what we're talking about right now. That's what we're talking about right now in this show. Now, I want to let you all know that you um, you can find my writing as well. I am a... Excuse me. This headset's messing up. I'm a featured columnist at BuzzFlash, Nation of Change, Op-Ed News, and I've started publishing again on Eurasia Review. Used to be um, extensively published in Huffington Post. You can just Google my name, Janine Moloff, and you'll find everything I wrote. Um, And right now, I'm working on a book. And this book is... kind of the end fulfillment of a thesis I had, an idea I had. You know, everybody complains about corporate. These big corporations and billionaires are just bleeding us dry, and it's true. But one of the reasons why we can't get justice, okay, whether it's through a DA like Dana Nethel pretending to be a progressive when she's not, progressives are supposed to stand for justice, okay, um, or You know, whether it's, you know, in a civil trial, whatever, because of these big corporate law firms, you know, who have twisted the law into something that is meaningless. So, I'm working on a book right now that traces those origins. And I'll let you know when it's ready. Okay, so, this is really what, this is the show for today. Um... We're going to be talking about more things. You know, obviously, the ongoing uh, investigation into the Trump administration and the way they stole um, top-secret documents is going to continue. Um, I think we need to talk about this emergency manager law because this is what began the mess in Flint and is extending to other communities. Um, I think we need to look at what's happening in our nation here, you know, um, you talk about, you hear politicians talk about democracy, especially uh, conservatives when they say, well, when they're asked about human rights, like, you know, gay rights, for instance, well, we have, they'll say, you know, we have to um, find out what's going on and have a vote. And it's what the community decides. And this is what the Republican Party is offering, except one thing. And this is my little editorial, if you will. Human rights of any type should never be subject to a poll or a vote. Human rights are just that, your rights. Inalienable, undeniable. Period. And as for the Supremes, well, let's be honest about this. The Supreme Court, whether you're a conservative or not, should be looking to see, are these laws not only technically legal, but they should also be looking, are these laws just? Do they create justice or do they hamper justice? It's the spirit of law, not merely the letter of the law. But we've had a lot of originalists that twist the, the technical letter of the law, and they remind me of little children. You know, when I, when I was a kid, there was this game we played called Foursquare. And usually the most popular kid in the class controlled the ball. And rules would change depending on the whim of that kid. That's what the letter of the law that's being pushed by conservatives reminds me of. They changed the rules to justify their own bigotries and nothing else. And that crap has to stop. So anyway, I I hope you learned something today. Uh, We are going to be doing more shows. Today was more about environmental justice. Um, What happened in Flint is an obvious uh, example of environmental racism, period. And we will be talking about it more. But that's our show for today. I hope you learned something. Um, You can check out. Our broadcasts anytime. time as all our shows are archived. If you like it, please share it. Click on it. It helps us out. There's no paywall. Uh, with that, I say good night and God bless us because we're going to need it.